This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. Welcome to RSCC. It is awesome to be with you if this is your first time. We welcome you. We are finally, and I I am happy, we are out of Judges, so it's going to be a little bit more upbeat the next couple weeks. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have this series, and we're going to talk about what this series is called Dangerous Prayers for three weeks, and then we're going to be moving into one of our favorite series is at the movie, so it's going to be fun. But today, I'm excited about this series. But before I get started, I want to remind you, next week is the end of summer, <clears throat> end of summer bash, and it is for all ages, and we're going to have a picnic right after church, and there's going to be free food, there's going to be giveaways, there's going to be inflatables, there's going to be some cornhole tournaments, there's going to be some cards inside, so it's going to be fun, so I encourage everybody after second service to stay and check it out, and uh, it's going to be a great time. So, But today, uh, we're going to start this series, like I said, Dangerous Prayers, and, and I want you to hop in the time machine with me to the year 2008. So not, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but 2008, and, and for some of you, you may not remember that year. So uh, in 2008, the, the, the most popular movie of the time was a movie series that started called Twilight, and uh, you're either Team Edward or Team Jacob, and if you don't know what Twilight is, you're better off not even knowing it's no big deal. Uh, in 2008, some of you may remember this, it was like the first time I actually like remember the word recession in the financial crisis, but why I'm telling you about 2008, because your boy in 2008 was 17, and he, in the summer of 2008, he found himself in the middle of nowhere USA in a town called Watsika, Illinois. Anybody ever heard of it? Ever been there? Didn't think so, right? And, and there was this, uh, the, more specifically, I was at a camp, and uh, I'm going to say this a nice way, nicest way I can. It's the most run-down Christian camp I've ever heard of and ever been to in my life. In Watsika, Illinois. Prairie Service, uh, Prairie States Service Christian Camp. It's where my church went. Um, I never went to church camp, but it's where my church went. But that year in 2008, I was 17, and I found myself um, working side by side with my mentor Tyson, who I talk about a lot, uh, my minister. And, and I was a sponsor for a week at the junior high camp. So five days in the middle of nowhere, no phone service. Uh, no air conditioning, just kind of uh, this camp, and we were helping these, these junior hires in, in camp, and it was an awesome week. At some point during this week, at, at the one night, um, our responsibility as some of the dorm dads is to get all the kids asleep, so you make, make sure they're all asleep, and then you vote for one person to stay behind, and then everybody else can go outside. So one night, I find myself outside. There's nothing to do. There's no service. I don't have a smartphone if I wanted to use a smartphone, and, and I find myself really bored, wishing I was, wasn't here, but I committed to being here, so here I am. So I find myself leaning up against a big tree, and, and I don't know why, but I was against this big tree. And it was dark out in Illinois, much like here, you can see for miles and miles and miles. So all you could see in Watsika was all these stars. And, and I started thinking about my life a little bit, and, and this was the first time really I was starting to get serious about faith. That I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I, I didn't grow up people, you know, having good Christian examples, so I didn't know what that meant. So I'm starting to figure this all out, and, and, and I find myself praying by this tree, and I'm trying to see, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, right? At 17, you don't know. I knew I wanted to be different than my family. I knew I wanted to be the first one to graduate and go to college. Little dilemma was I didn't know what college would accept me because of my grades and my athletic ability wasn't going to get me to school, so I didn't know how that was going to work. So I found myself leaning against this tree, and I'm just sitting there, 
and I, and, I, and I say a prayer a little bit like this. Um, God, uh, if you can hear me, um, I'm not really sure how all this works, but if you can hear me, um, I don't know what I want to do. Like, I don't know what I want to do in my life. I don't know where I want to live. I don't know who I want to become. But I do know this. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to do what you want me to do. And I want to be who you want me to be. Now at 17, here's what I was hoping. I was hoping that was rich living on the beach, right? Like that's my future, right? And God, God continues to answer that prayer in the next several years of my life. And, and at that point in my life, I call it the most dangerous prayer I've ever prayed. And we'll get to what that means in a second. But so he starts to answer some of these prayers. I get accepted to a Bible college, which little did you know, besides community college, was the only college that probably would accept me. Why would Bible college accept me? Because they needed money and not a lot of people go to Bible college, right? So it was like perfect, perfect, you know, match for one another. So I got accepted to LCU and we went to Lincoln, Illinois. There I found my wife. I majored in youth and family ministry. And then I graduated by the grace of God and by the miracle of God. I graduated and then God spoke to me and said, hey, you remember when you prayed that prayer by that giant tree when you were 17 and, and you're like, you, you were hoping you went to a beach? Here's what we're going to do. I, I'm going to send you somewhere. It's going to be by a body of water, okay? But it's not going to be a beach. It's going to be a really cool area. You've never heard of it. It's called Rising Sun. Yes, that's the town name. And you're going to go there and you're going to minister there. Well, here we are, 2021, prayer 2008, and this is where I am. And I am so blessed, and I would not change how my story turned out. I would not change where I ended up. But I noticed something as I reflect on that story. At 17, when I was young and naive, and some would say young and dumb, I prayed this prayer, which was a dangerous prayer. Now I find myself in thir 30s, a little bit more gray in my beard, and I looked at my prayer life, and I found something. That the older I've gotten, the safer my prayers have gotten. The older I've gotten... The safer my prayers have gotten. And I share that with you because I bet you that's similar to you if you pray. If you pray, you would probably realize at one point in your life, you prayed these dangerous, risky type of prayers. And again, we'll get to what that means in a second. But as you get older, as you get more comfortable, you start to change how you pray a little bit. Your prayers become a little bit safer. And just to get everybody on the same page, when, when, we, when I mention prayer, what, I, what I'm meaning in, in the simplest term is our conversation with God, how we communicate with God. And, and some people do it differently. Some people, you know, kneel and pray. Some people put their hands up. Some people walk and pray. Like prayer looks different than everybody, for everybody. But, it, but it, what it is, it's core, is conversation between you and God. Now, here's what I want to ask, that how many of you, even though you believe in the power of prayer, prayer. Like, how many of you believe in the power of prayer? Just raise your hand. Like, yeah. All right. A lot of us do. But at the same time, you also believe you could pray more consistently and with more faith. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of funny. Like, we believe in the power of prayer. Most of you raise your hand. And then you would nod your head and even agree, like, yes, I believe in the power of prayer, but I also believe I could pray more consistently and with more faith. And so why is that? Well, there's a couple reasons. For some of us, uh, Prayer is awkward. When you're first starting your faith, like one of the most awkward things for many people is how to pray. Like, what do I say? How do I do it? Where do I do it? Like, what, what am I, what's the technique or what's the, you know, how do you do this? What's the structure? And then you get a little bit comfortable. But what, what I think for most of us is, is it's real simple. We get in what I call a prayer rut. We get stuck. And, and, and so here's what we end up doing. We say safe prayers. Lord, bless me today. Bless this food. 
Bless my health. Let them get healed. Bless, you know, be with me as I take this test. Be with me as I go for this interview. Be with me as I travel this trip, right? And we kind of can break our prayer life for most people into two categories, and it's real simple. There is, you know, there's pain avoidance. Like, hey, I want to avoid pain. I I don't like the way this is feeling, God, so take it away. So pain avoidance. And then the second thing we pray for often is change of circumstance, right? I, I don't like this, change it. So most people's prayer life can be probably be broken. That pain avoidance, change of circumstance, right? How many of you say, just please, uh, please me, raise your hand. How many of you would say, these are the things you pray about a lot? Just most of us, right? That's, we pray that. So here's what happens. We pray for these things, and most of our prayer life can be kind of categorized into this. And then what do we do? We pray for the same things at the same time in the same way. Pray for the same things at the same time in the same way. And all of a sudden, when you pray for the same things at the same time in the same way, what happens? You get in a prayer rut. Your prayers become safe. The only problem with that is this. Yes, we should pray for these things. You should pray before a meal. You should pray for pain avoidance and change of circumstance. Throughout Scripture, you see those prayers, the type of prayers. But also throughout Scripture, you see these daring, vulnerable, raw, life-changing, emotionally-filled Faithful prayers, dangerous prayers, if you will. And they're not dangerous because they're risky. They're not dangerous because if you do it, you're going to get hurt. They're dangerous because of this. Because dangerous prayers do this. And and this is what this series is all about. Dangerous prayers remove us from our spiritual safety nets, all right? Remove us from our comfort zone and challenge us to live beyond our comfort zone. Dangerous prayers are the type of prayers that are life-stretching. They're risky because when you pray these type of prayers... When answered, something happens. When answered, you change. Your marriages change. Your relationships change. Things around you change. When these prayers are answered, your relationship with God changes. You grow closer and closer and closer and closer to God. But maybe you're like me, and you've realized, hey, I want to pray more faithfully. I want to pray with more emotion. I want to be better at prayer. But you just see that your prayers are safe. That's who this series is for. So I, I want to be honest, this series is motivated by a couple things. Uh, since being in ministry for the last eight years, I, I, there's one question I got that surprised me over and over again. And it's not because it's a bad question, it's just I didn't expect it. Uh, the question was this, or was on this topic, prayer. I would say prayer is one of the top two things I get asked about on on a weekly or monthly basis. People come to me and they're confused about prayer. So I wanted to be a better minister and so I started taking this journey to become better at praying and talking about prayer and and on this journey I found a book and the book is called Dangerous Prayers, right? So this book, you can go look it up on Amazon. I, I ordered it for Adam. Um, unfortunately, I didn't read the fine print. It was in Spanish, and Adam doesn't read Spanish. So if you read Spanish, I have a free copy for you. But um, Dangerous Prayers is the book, and is written by a minister named Craig Crochelle. And what we're going to do in the next three weeks is we're, a lot of what we're going to talk about is motivated by him um, or inspired by him, so we want to give him his credit. But the reason we're doing this series is because Many of us agree our prayer life could be better. And in, in, in his book, he, he says something. Craig says something. He says that he's noticed something in ministry. And he's been in ministry for 30, 40 years. And he said, people usually pray for different, different, their prayer life looks different. For some people, it's like a lottery ticket. 
They pray for a better life, comfort zone, that this prayer is answered and it's a lottery ticket and everything's going to be okay. Some people, he said, pray because it's what you're supposed to do. Right? You're supposed to pray for it before your meal. Right? You're supposed to do that. Some people pray because it's, what, it's just r- routine. It's, it's just what, something they've learned. He says the only problem with that is become this. That Jesus never called us to play it safe. That Jesus called us to leave everything and follow him above all else. And to have a dangerous faith. To have a faith that takes risk. That has a faith that removes us out of our comfort zone. That has a faith that, that believes that God can, has, and will continue to move the mountains. Because, why do we have this type of faith? Because it's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus had a dangerous faith. He ate with sinners, and he, and he healed the sick, he touched the sick, he, he, he spent time with people no one else would spend with. He, he, he took the religious system and flipped it upside down. He even looked death right in the face and said, bring it on. And he won. And, and, he, and he's called us to have this dangerous faith. So my, my, my question for you is this. Are you ready the next three weeks to have God move in your life? That's what I'm going to ask you. Are you ready? Are you going to listen? Right? You can, you can come here and not listen. Are, are you ready for that? Are you ready to change your prayer life? Are you ready to move beyond your comfort zone? Are you ready to pray these life-stretching, life-changing prayers? Uh, the question I should be asking is, are you ready to be dangerous? Because some of us, we've been way too safe. So if you're ready to be dangerous, will you just do me a favor? Put your hands together, right? Let's do that. Get some emotion in here. And let's get ready because we're going to look at a prayer today. And this prayer is going to stretch you. It's going to mold you. It's going to be a prayer that if you pray in your life, I guarantee you, my promise would be that God will move. You may not like how he moves, but he will move in your life. So let's get to the prayer. It's going to be on the screen behind me in just a second. It's Psalm 139, and we'll get to it in a second, my bad. We'll get to it. Psalm 139, if you flip there. But our first prayer is Psalm 139. It's at the very end. And in Psalms, you will read in the book of Psalms, if you flip to the middle of your Bible, if you go there, that's where Psalms is or Proverbs, but you're close to the book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, you will read some of the most dangerous, vulnerable, and authentic prayers. Many of these prayers, here's what's interesting, a lot of guys say, like, I don't like to be vulnerable. I don't like to be emotional. Um, David wrote many of these prayers. And David was a warrior. David was a fighter. David was a man after God's own heart. And in this book of Psalms, you're going to see that David prays emotional prayers. He questions God. He praises God. At one point in his life, he says, God, how long are you going to leave me? When are you going to return? Why have you deserted me? But in the book of Psalms, you're going to see a couple things. That you, your prayer matters. How you pray matters. What you pray matters. When you pray matters. That your prayers move God. And one night in David's life, after a long life, um, a life that started when he was a shepherd boy, and uh, Samuel walks up to him and says, one day you're going to be the future king of Israel. David comes onto the scene and he uh, fights Goliath while the army, Israelite's army is behind him. He becomes a mighty warrior, and people cheer his name. Thousands of people cheer his name. The King Saul becomes jealous, and David spends many of his years on the run. Eventually, David becomes king. He has great success with great moral failures in there. Eventually, a kingdom that started so well will end up on a downfall. But one night in David's life, he finds himself being vulnerable and raw before God. 
And he, pray, he prays this prayer in Psalm 139. And we're not going to read all of Psalm 139. But we're going to read one section in just a couple verses. And this prayer is going to be broken up into four subsections that can change your life and change my life. So here's what he says. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. And when you just read these two lines, the first thing I think is like, wow, like, that's pretty brave. Search me, God. Reveal anything in me that you don't like. Like, the, the prayer essentially is this. Search me, right? Search me, it, which means probe. Look and find anything in me. Like, David wanted to be the guy that God wanted him to be so much. He says, search me, God. Find if there's anything in me. I know you know everything already, so just bring it to light, right? That's what we call a, a flashlight prayer. Anybody love flashlights? Like, I, I love flashlights, and when we moved here, you know what happened a lot? The power went out, and I'm like, we better have some flashlights, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. It goes out a lot. And, and so we're like, hey, uh, we need flashlights. And, and I, you know, I like flashlights. And what's a flashlight's job? Not a trick question, right? A flashlight's job is to expose whatever you're looking for, to bring light into a dark situation, right? So, like, if I want to expose my wife, I just shine it on her right there, right? All right? Or you guys sleeping in the back row. I see you, Ted, right? You sleeping, all right? It's exposing what's dark, right? It's bringing light to what's dark. A search me, pr this prayer, search me, is what I call a flashlight prayer because here's what you're doing. And it's so dangerous, it's risky, and most people don't ever do it, and most people don't want to do it because it is risky. Here's what you're doing you're saying, God, shine your light of holiness and perfectness and grace and mercy into my life and expose anything in me that shouldn't be there. Expose it, right? Like just a light, like a, a, you know, a flashlight shines in the dark and it looks like, uh, expose what you're supposed to find. David's like, if there's anything in me that shouldn't be, expose it. Bring it to my attention. Let me know if there's anything in there. God, you already know, but let me know if there's something in my life that's not supposed to be there and let's expose it so I can overcome it. Now, I don't know all of you, but I would bet there's something in your life that shouldn't be there that you need God to expose to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to break the four subsections of this prayer up real quick. And we're going to look at it. And we're going to teach each other today how to pray a, a vulnerable, raw, life-changing prayer. The first thing that David prays is, he says, the first thing he prays is, know my heart. Know my heart. Know my heart. Right? And this one's a little tricky because you're like, know my heart. Like, come on now. I got a good heart. Right? I got a good heart. I'm a good person. Right? And we say that phrase, oh, they got such a, they got such a good heart. Oh, a lot of times we say that prayer like when someone does something bad and they shouldn't do. We're like, we don't want to say anything bad about them. So here's what we do. We're like, they got a good heart. So we're going to give them benefit of doubt. And we say that term a lot. Oh, they got a good heart. I got a good heart. But here's the reality of scripture. No one wants to talk about this anymore. But nobody has a good heart. Come on now. No one has a perfectly good heart. Scripture tells us this. In Romans it says, not one of us is righteous, right? We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what happens is our mind and our heart convinces us that, you know what? I do have a good heart and I am a good person. And the prophet Jeremiah, he says this when, he, when he's speaking. He says, the heart is deceitful 
above all things, beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's like the heart is deceitful. So what scripture tells us is as much as you want to push back on this, as much as I want to push back on this, say, you know what? No. You know what's deceitful, Jeremiah? You're deceitful because I have a good heart, right? Like we want to push back and then say that. But what we have to understand, and this is really the gospel at its core, right? That's not one of us have a good heart. We may do, from moment to moment do Christ-like things, but none of us have a perfectly pure heart. And what does that show us? That shows us our need for Christ. So when we pray this prayer, and if we're, if we're open and we're honest, if we're vulnerable and we say, God, know my heart. So if you were vulnerable enough and you prayed this, and you searched, and we searched our own hearts, we're going to be honest that we don't always like what we see. Come on. If you search your heart, if you're honest, you're not always going to like what you see. You don't believe me? Look at social media. Social media is a great compass. It's a great compass, right? It, it, it's a great moral compass of where people are, where they stand and what they believe. And you see hate on every side of the aisle. You see hate from Christians. You see hate from non-Christians. From Republicans, Democrats. Very often, all, the only thing you do see is hate. Right? You see it so much. Right? And then every once in a while, you, you'll sprinkle in pictures of your kids or your grandkids, and then, like, then some more hate after that. Right? That's kind of what happens. But it's everywhere. And what that shows us is like, listen, like, we may not realize it. We may not think it. We may not like it. It's not about what we like or don't like. It's about what's reality. And the reality is our hearts are deceitful. And what this prayer about it, uh, is about, like, know my heart. What you're, what you're actually doing is you're saying, open my eyes to my blind spots. Open my eyes to my blind spots. One of the best inventions I think ever added on a car was those little blind spot indicators, right? Come on, some of you needed those a long time ago. But they got the blind spot indicators and like some of you got the fancy cars where the blind spot will light up and actually on the screen. Other people have it on the mirror and like what it does is when something's in your blind spot, it exposes something you can't see, right? It says, hey, don't get over because there's a car in the next lane. It exposes it, the little light, the little orange light shows up. Well, when you're praying this prayer, like, God, hey, you know, show me the blind spot in my heart. Show me the blind spot in my life because I can't see it and I need you to reveal it to me because if I can't reveal it, if you don't reveal it to me, I can never overcome it. So you're asking God to know your heart and it's asking God to reveal your blind spots because the reality is, there, and we're going to get to this in a second, there's something in your life that you're not seeing that is keeping you from being who God wants you to be. So when you pray this, God's going to reveal things. And he's going to reveal things not because he's judgmental, not because he's hateful, not because he's vengeful. He's going to reveal things such as there's a lot of things in your heart that are getting in the way of your relationships. There's a lot of things in your heart that are making you an awful witness. There's a lot of things in your heart that are getting in your way of your relationship with me. There's a lot of things in your heart that are keeping you from becoming like Christ. And he's going to reveal these things to show you what you need to change. But ultimately why God's going to reveal these things is because... He wants to set you apart. He wants to sanctify you, make you holy. He wants to form you, allow your life to be shaped in the image of Christ. So he's saying, God, know my heart. David's saying, God, reveal things in my heart that I may not see about myself. You know me, but reveal it to me. And then he says, the next part, the subpart two is this. Know my anxious thoughts. 
And I thought about doing this today because this one's so big. I thought about just talking all day on this little section, on one line, know my anxious thoughts. Because we're the most, this society now is the most filled society of all time that struggles with anxiety and stress. It's just reality. And maybe for some of us today, this little subsection right here is the section that keeps us or traps us or limits us more than any other area in our lives. So know my anxious thoughts, or you can say it this way, my fears. And to really to, to know this, or for God to know my anxious thoughts, you, you have to figure out what makes you anxious? What makes you fearful? And we're not talking about spiders or, you know, heights or giant animals like cows or horses, right? I don't like those things, right? But what makes you anxious? What keeps you up at night? What, just, what can't you shut off, right? You just, no matter what you do, you just can't shut it off. Is it the state of your marriage? Is it finances? Is it health? Is it your kids? What makes you anxious? And why, why figuring this out is so important for all of us is this. What keeps us up at night? What steals our attention? What causes fear? What's, what cripples us? Is a big deal. And David shows us this. We don't know what's making David anxious. We don't know what's making him fearful. It, earlier in the prayer, he, he talks about his enemies. So maybe at this point in his life, the, his kingdom is starting to crumble and, and think the pressure is starting to be on him. But David teaches you and I such a, a beautiful lesson. All he does is this. He goes, I'm anxious and I'm fearful. And he teaches us a lesson in this moment. David is bringing, this is so important, David is bringing whatever is making him anxious to God. He's bringing it to him. He's saying, God, here's what's causing me fear. God, here's what's causing me anxiety. I, I want you to know. And the reason he did this is so important, is he trusted that God was bigger than anything that would make him anxious. He trusted that. What if you and I, what if we trusted God like that? What if we say, God, hey, here, God already knows. So that's the thing. It's like this whole prayer, God already knows, right? But what if you brought whatever was making you anxious, whatever's making you fearful, what if you brought it to God? And he's saying, God, man, this is big. It's so big. I, it's keeping me up at night. It's keeping taking my focus. It's stealing my attention. But God, I, I know it's big. But I know you're bigger than anything that makes me anxious. Again, why this is so important is because what you're anxious about, what steals your attention, and this is hard to hear. Nobody likes to hear this. But what makes you most anxious are often the areas in your life where we don't trust God completely, can completely handle it. Or handle it completely. What makes you most anxious is often the areas where you don't trust God can handle completely. Now, subpoint this because I, I live with a counselor. That does not mean you shouldn't go to counseling for some people. Right? Sometimes you, we have to do that. But what this means is the areas you stress about, your marriage, your finances, your kid's future, your singleness, are probably the areas where you don't trust God has the, his plan, is the right plan for you. Or the areas where you probably don't trust that God can get you through. Right? And we're not supposed to be led by fear. 
We're supposed to be led by faith. So as we pray for God to reveal our fears in our life, guess what he's going to do? He's going to invite you into having faith. He's going to invite you into trusting him. He's going to invite you to remembering that he is bigger than what's causing you anxiety. Again, it doesn't mean that for some of you, you don't need to go to counseling. It doesn't mean that you need some outside help. What I'm saying is the first thing we should do, saying, God, I'm going to reveal this to you because I'm going to trust you with it. And I know you've given me tools in this world, such as counseling, such as, as books, as people, as resources. I'm going to use those as well. But God, I'm ultimately trusting you. And, and faith doesn't mean you don't work hard. Doesn't mean you don't, you know, learn coping tools. Doesn't mean you don't, you don't work on, on skills to overcome things. It doesn't mean you don't get afraid. It just means you don't let fear stop you. You don't let anxiety stop you. David is praying, God, don't let my anxieties and my fears get in the way from stopping me from who you want me to become. That's what he's praying. The third prayer is this. The third subsection is this. Uncover my sins. He says it this way. See if there's any offensive way in me. And this is where it gets real good, right? This is where it gets real good. This is where it gets fun, like, because you're not supposed to talk about sin in church anymore for some reason, right? So this is where it gets fun, right? So David was a man after God's own heart. He knew it, right? So David's life, he, he over and over again, he kept, he kept saying, God, who do, you want me to come? who do you want me to become? What do you want me to do, God? Show me, reveal yourself to me. And guess what? God revealed himself to, to David, and guess what David did? He still messed up. Big time. Don't believe me? Go to the book, you know, Second Samuel, check out the story of Bathsheba, right? David and Bathsheba, right? He stole one of his man's, his man's wife and then killed that man, right? Crazy story. He still did bad things even though that he knew God's goodness. So what he's praying is that, God, show me my blind spots. Show me the things in my life that I can't see, my offensive ways, so I can avoid trouble. God, show me if I'm doing anything that offends or hurts your heart. God, save me before I'm about to wreck myself is what he's praying. Because I can't see what's about to hurt me. Is what, that's, it's so amazing. He's like, I know I have a deceitful heart. I know I want to do the right things. But I know I keep tricking myself. So show me if there's anything that offends you or hurts you in your heart. Anything I'm doing, reveal it. Isn't it interesting? If you pray this prayer like David, because why is it that it's so difficult to see our faults or sins in the mirror, but it's so easy to see everybody else's? Right? Isn't that true? Like, it, it's difficult to see our own sins, and it's easy to find everybody else's fault. I can't believe she said that, right? Oh, did you see what they wore to the church today? Did you see what they posted on TikTok? Did you see how, what their kids are doing? Did you see this? Did you see that? Did you see this, right? And, and we're like, hey, um, we're experts at accusing. Can you believe what they did? And then we're, we're also experts at excusing ourselves. Well, that's just how I'm wired, right? That's just, it, that's just how I cope. It's none of your business anyways. Don't judge me because Jesus says don't judge or you'll be judged. Right? It's so easy to see everybody else's faults. But it's so difficult to see our own. And David knew that about himself. He's like, it's so hard to see my faults. There's another book called The Me I Want to Be. The Me I Want to Be. And the author goes on to say that there's, all a ver there's always a version of the me I want to be, right? In, in your mind, you have the version of you who you want to be. He said to get to, it was a Christian book. He says to get to that version of you that you want to be, you have to realize this, is there is a me I cannot see. 
To be the me I want to be, I have to realize there's a me I cannot see. And he goes on to share the illustration. He's like, imagine you're at a party. And, and a guy walks in the room and he's loud. He's obnoxious. He takes the air out of the room. We all know those people, right? No one in the room likes him. We don't know how he got there, but he's there anyways, right? And so everybody else in the party has realized, like, dude, this guy is an issue. Who is the last person to realize they're an issue? The guy who walked in the room, that's the issue. He's the last person, right? And the author goes on to say, he's like, that is how it is for so many of us in our lives. That there's a me I can't see. And we're looking at our lives like a funhouse mirror. And we're deceiving ourselves. And that's why knowing our heart is so important. He goes, because there's a you you can't see. And what you need to do is you need to ask God to expose that. And in dangerous prayers, there's three questions that the author says that we, we can do to find the me I, I, I want to be or the me I can't see. First thing is this. What have others told you about yourself? If there are three to four to five people in your life who love you and come up to you and say, hey, listen, you got this problem. You drink too much. You flirt with other women or other men too much. You spend too much time at work and not with your kids. You're too critical. You're too judgmental. You're too hateful. If those friends come to you and they bring that to you, as much as you don't like to hear it, it's probably true. And they're exposing something you can't see. The second question we can ask is, what have I been rationalizing my life? What have I been making excuses for? Well, you know, it's just, uh, it's not that I have a bad temper. It's that everybody else around me is just making me so mad. Right? It's not that I'm gossiping. It's like I'm just exposing something that needs to be told. It's, it's none of your business. Right? Or it's just the way I'm, I was born. I'm wired this way. Where have you been rationalizing? Because often what you rationalize is just a cover for where you're sinning. And the third question is, where am I most offensive? Where in your life is when it was brought up, you're like, I'm not talking about that. I'm not going there. It's none of your business anyways. I'll handle it. Because what I found in my life, and this hurts and it stinks to say, but wherever I'm most offensive is often where I need the most work. Where am I defensive? What have others told me? What am I rationalizing? Where am I most offensive? God will use these three questions to expose sin and, and things in your life that you may not see. And when you pray God expose the sin in my life, He's going to expose it. He's going to be, He's going to expose things others have told you about yourself. He's going to expose the things you've been rationalizing. He's going to be exposed to things you've been denying. And now you can deny the truth. You can act like it's not the reality. But denying the truth or being defensive doesn't deny the facts. All it does is get in the way. Are you, that's why this prayer is dangerous. Because I promise you, you say, God, expose the sin in my life. God's going to expose it. And then you can deny it. Or you can get defensive. But it doesn't deny the facts. It just gets in the way. So then you have an option. Deny the truth. Or do what David did. Don't run away from God with your struggles. Run to God. 
God, expose this. And I'm running right to you. So he said, God, know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. Reveal my sin to me. And then he prays the last word. Lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. God, just don't expose what you, don't just expose my heart. Don't just know my, my fears. Don't just reveal my sins. Lead me. Everything we've prayed before this moment is important, but it's incomplete without this. We don't, just, we don't want God just to reveal things. We want God to guide us, to lead us, and direct us to become who he wants us to become. That's what this is about. Direct me. Guide me. Lead me to who you want me to become. So when you pray this prayer, you can't just pray, go through the motions. You got to have passion and meaning behind it. And here's what's going to happen. He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. And he's going to direct you. He's going to expose things. He's going to expose your sins. He's going to expose your heart. He's going to expose your fears. He's going to expose all the areas where you don't trust him. And all the areas where you're getting, your, your life is getting away. All the areas where sin is winning. He's going to expose that. And he's going to show you something. He's going to say, your biggest need in your life is that you can't save yourself. And here's what he's going to invite you to. To embrace your deepest need. And let it drive you to depend on Christ. David's prayer was simple. God, I don't know myself well enough. I need you to guide me and lead me and shape me. When you and I pray this, we're saying, Jesus, there are so many things in my heart. There are so many fears. There are so many sins that continue to get in your, my way of who you want me to become. And I'm going to embrace my deepest need. And that's you. Jesus, I want you to guide me. I want you to be my security. I want you to be my purpose. I want to find value and, and, and purpose only in you. I need you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. That's what this prayer drives us to. So here's what I want to do this week. Just for, I'm going to ask everybody to do this. We post so many things on social media. We post, you, know, you post all your pictures. What we don't often post is our face. So here's what I want you to do. Every single day this week, so from this Sunday to next Sunday, I want you to wake up and I want you to pray this prayer every day. Before you hop on Instagram, before you get on TikTok, before you open the newspaper, turn on the news, before you reach for your phone, I want you to pray this prayer. And I want you to start today. So here's what we're going to do. I'll read a line. You'll repeat. I'll read a line. You'll repeat. Here we go. Lord, search me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of the everlasting. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a prayer that will shape you, will mold you, and pull you out of your comfort zone. But a prayer that could change your life more than you ever realize. Don't be safe. Don't go through the motions. Let this prayer lead you to the Savior who can change everything. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful that you have a way for us to communicate to you. Through prayer, God, and we know at times we're safe. At times we go through the motions. Father, so I, I pray that we leave today with just a little bit better understanding 
what it means to have a dangerous prayer life. God, I, I thank you for the lives of the people who are here today. And I know there's someone here today who hasn't made a decision to take that step to, to make you Lord of their life. Say, I, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to let you lead me, God. And if there's anybody here today who needs to make that decision, Father, I, I pray that we have a conversation today. Father, and then as we head into communion in just a little while after the song, God, I, I just pray that we remember how dangerous it was when Jesus came to this world, yet he didn't leave us, he didn't desert us, he died for each and every one of us. So we focus and we remember that. God, you are so loving, and we know what love is because you loved us first. It's in your name we pray, amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.